Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, the weekly podcast where we discuss all things weather entwined, but not so much the weather itself. I'm your host, Mark Jelanik, and this week we're going to be talking about the accessibility of weather. But before we jump into the main topic, let me just say I hope you've had an enjoyable and, of course, interesting weather entwined week. You know, this week for me, okay, you all probably think every week, I have just lived weather entwined, and to some extent that's true. Working in the weather enterprise, you kind of get that, right? But sometimes it really spills over in everyday life. And again, I may seek it out more than, than others, but I, it was so many fronts this week. Whether it was the venture capital world, the ag world, the construction world, even the podcasting world kind of dove into weather connections for me this week hurricanes that that's big we're getting ready to start the north atlantic hurricane season people updating their seasonal outlooks now now it looks to be potentially busier than average or so some people are saying like noah the official arm that tracks them and forecasts them here in the u.s so it'll be interesting to see if that's the case bugs bugs was the big thing for me this week i you know I think I even mentioned that we had kind of some early hatchings this year. And fortunately, the weather's kind of settled down a little bit back to normal, even a little below normal where I am. So it wasn't some of the heat is worn off. But for some reason, this week became ant week. I don't know what it was. Maybe it wasn't the weather at all, but it felt that way. I, I think it just, you know, if they finally got from, okay, waking up from springtime, wintertime behaviors to summer exploration, let's say. So I, I've definitely been, and I don't know, just some bugs I hadn't seen in the past couple of years. And again, being an apartment dweller and up a floor, I, I don't always see <laughs> all the bugs um, necessarily in my apartment, but uh, there's been an uptick lately. That's eh, okay. Bugs are part of the planet, so they're just out there doing their thing. But I definitely think it's a little weather related. And, and another thing was actually, you know, I mentioned the podcasting specifically, you know, I talked about weather accessibility and this is going to be our main topic, but it, it was interesting that this week here I was researching, trying to put some final touches on the episode, thinking through it. And sure enough, there was a podcast that I listened to. Now I've, I've made this move to the Android world. I, I used an iPhone originally. There's some things I like about that space, some things I didn't. I have an iPad, still have that. But I moved to Android, and you know me being a podcast person, I also consume podcast. And one of them that I specifically listen to now is called The Material Podcast. And it's very focused on Android and Google, so if you're interested, listen to it. But this week they had on um, a co-host, or a former co-host, who has gone on to work at Google, and they got in this conversation about, because a lot of what she does is help developers, you know, kind of create better apps. And as we all know, anybody that's used an app on an iPhone or a, an Android device, whichever, knows that there's a lot of apps out there that could really use some help. Now, one of the co-hosts of the show is also one of the developers on Pocket Cast, which is the podcasting app that I use and recommend. But in any case, I digress. They, they were getting into the idea of accessibility which I found interesting. And, and so sometimes it's 
interesting how these things come full circle. They weren't specifically talking about weather, but I was getting ready to do a podcast on weather accessibility, and here they were talking about accessibility. So with that, let's dive into the topic of the week, which is really how accessible is weather? Now, we need to think of it from a couple of angles, I guess. One is, you know, what are we really talking about when we're talking about you know, weather accessibility? And of course, you know, I think of this being the information, and that's where we're going to spend some time. But at its core, right, at weather at its core really is a sensory experience, right? Whether you're seeing the sky in some way, whether you're hearing a thunderstorm or just a rain. I mean, think about all the apps that play sounds, right? Soothing sounds. And so many of those have a weather element to them. But just touch, you know, feeling rain or feeling snowflakes or tasting rain and snowflakes for that matter. So the experience hits us with many senses. And we can't say this about everything. Yes, most things in the natural world, that's that's the case, or a lot of things are. But given that combination of our personal experience with weather, it comes in very natural for us to think about how we relate to weather with our different senses. And importantly along those lines, as we know, there's a need to understand the weather for anybody going about life that doesn't want to get rained on, doesn't want to be out on a really hot day without sunscreen. just trying to survive and doesn't want to be exposed to the elements. I mean, again, you know, I'm relating this in a very first world kind of problem sort of thing, but I I don't care where you are on the globe. Most people do things on a daily basis that somehow the weather impacts. And again, for others, it may be more or less, but most of us at some point want to know what's going on with the weather. And other people want to, whether it's experiencing the weather or understanding more about the weather, have that desire for more weather information as well. And with that, I heard from a listener, Steve, who I I think he lives in Kansas. You know, I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think his base is kind of the Wichita, Kansas area here in the U.S. And Steve sent me an email probably, I don't know, April-ish, late March, early April, and explained his position. This this person is totally blind now. Was wasn't always that way. And wanted to understand what's really being done to make weather information more accessible. And you know, it's a it's a very reasonable question. You know, I never really I'm working in an audio medium, right? And for me that that's very accessible to someone that is a sight impairment. And here in the U.S., that's about 1 million people that are are what's called legally blind, which are functionally blind. But we also have the same on the hearing impaired side, so that we have roughly about the same, 1 million people here in the U.S. And And these percentages roll over to general populations around the globe. 
But it really got me to thinking, how do we and how have we over time conveyed information and how has that impacted different people with different impairments coming to a situation? So, you know, you think about our history in general. You know, some of it has been written down. Some of it has been etched in tablets. But, but as we know, back in time, so much of it was an oral history. But it was also person to person. So someone with a sight impairment could hear another person telling them a story or, or hear them telling a history. Yet, at that point in time, someone who had a hearing impairment may not have had that luxury. However, we tended to tell stories with gestures and expressions. And so hopefully somebody with a hearing impairment could understand the situation because in some sense, what we started with was a video type presentation. And that's how we shared things. So there was this visual and this audio element to it in much of what we did. Now, as we went through time, we made this transition in terms of sharing with larger masses of people. First, we went to print, right? Invention of the printing press. That was great for people who had a hearing impairment, but wasn't so great for people who had a visual impairment. Now, we tackled that with things like Braille, which made printing material more accessible. And then we made this transition to audio, radio, airways, records, <laughs> kids ask your parents, CDs, MP3 files, whatever whatever media type you've, you've used to absorb that medium. Um, they all, you know, the, the idea though was we, we made this flip side. So then all of a sudden we went to something that was very good for the visually impaired. But on the flip side, not so good for the hearing impaired. Then we made this transition to video. So th this was, you know, think about it, I, I guess in the 30s. Oh, God, it's coming up. It'll be a century soon. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. We went to this video platform. And it was even before that. But video initially didn't have both the audio-video component to it. But we went to something that was more consistent with how we had been back in the day, yet being able to reach the masses. So it had a, both an audio and video component to it. So no matter what your impairment, you could get something from it. But we've struggled with video. And I think video, you know, when we think about television and we think about where we are today in this, um, as Steve even said, the microwave society where, you know, you heat it in a hurry and go, or, you know, we, we like to say that, you know, no one has the patience or time for things. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. We quick absorbers, right? And the challenge with video is it gives us an ability to create that. You can be talking and, and have a have something playing and create this total audio video experience. Yet for someone with an impairment, they may or may not get the story out of what you're trying to tell because we've gotten lazy. We tend to let whatever the visual is speak for itself and our audio might be something different and don't relate well. So we tend to lean on the medium, right? And we've gotten to where we're not focused on what is the story we're trying to tell. And I understand, in, you know, we're living in the now. You got to get it out on Twitter. You got you to gotta share it. You got to do all these things. And, and in our hurry, we sometimes forget that 
we need to relate things together. It's almost like we've created an audio channel and a video channel that are doing their own things. Sometimes they make sense together. Sometimes they don't. And it's a function of everything we're doing. I mean, you, you think about Twitter, 140 characters. If I'm sharing a picture on Twitter, which you couldn't even do in the beginning, right? I think to myself, well, the, the, the picture speaks for itself. Well, not for somebody who is visually impaired. And those 140 characters become very important. And, and it's, it is also important to keep in mind that most people with impairments, not all of them, most people with impairments today at some stage in their life, and this was the case with Steve as well, weren't always that way. A lot of times we're impacted by things when we're young or there's just a natural degradation with age. But in any case, for most people, and again, not every case, and I, you know, understand I'm, I'm speaking of this, not somebody who has experienced the worst of these things. But for most people that have an impairment, they can recreate in their mind the fullness of the experience by having leveraging their other senses, right? So it's very natural for even someone who is visually impaired to utilize television. You know, you may think, oh, why would they be utilizing it? But I mean, I even think back to when I was young, I had one of those radios that had you know, multiple channels on it and you know, AM, FM, but they also, it also had TV band. Right? And so even in the early days, I remember watching MASH TV show on for many years. But I also listened to it on this television band when it was on, sometimes at night. And it was very easy for me to visualize things because I kind of knew the characters, and people can do this in general, even if they might have a visual impairment, or whether it's being totally blind as an example, or partially blind and can only see kind of blobs and areas, they can still kind of piece together things. But even that aside, there's a lot of useful information coming from a television medium that can come through that audio component, right? And because video tends to focus on shorter things and it's not as drawn out, it can be more focused and useful and quick to grab. However, it's not necessarily quick to grab if the person telling the story is so focused on, see, look in the area that's in red. That's where the warning area is. Or... These storms are moving through the area at 50 miles an hour, but no reference of where they're starting or where they're finishing. So Steve suggested to me, just try this experiment. Turn on a television channel, and I specifically sought out weather forecasts. And just put a towel over the TV and go through that experience. How well was the information relayed? What could you really discern from a segment of time based on what you heard and, and couldn't see. And it's rather amazing. And I recommend anybody do it if you if you want to have this experience. You, you don't have to go through some big, complicated thing. Just do that. And it's very enlightening as to how information is conveyed. Now, sometimes there were, there were points where 
I could really imagine what was on the screen because of the way the person was conveying the information. But I would say that was the minority of the time. And what was particularly interesting, I did this during a time when we had some severe weather going on. I did this at a time when that information might be most critical or life-saving. And what I found is in those cases, people try to speed up in conveying the information. They're trying to convey more information. And I get that. Listen, let's be realistic. These people have a, a limited time window and they're trying to share information. And they get caught up in letting the video try to convey a lot of the story and focus on pieces. And therefore, the story becomes incomplete. And what's interesting is I did the opposite of this. So I did the visually impaired, but I figured, you know, let me do the hearing impaired as well. Let me let me do that same approach. So I, I took and I took the towel off, but I turned the audio down and I went through the same thing. And from a video standpoint, you would think, oh, well, more more information was accessible. And yeah, maybe it was. Maybe you could see a blob on the screen and know that something was going on. But if you didn't know what the person was saying, it didn't really help. You knew something was going on at least, and that's a good thing. And maybe there was a scrolling thing at the bottom that told you that. But what was interesting in neither case did I walk away with a story. And this, even in the case of, of the hearing impairment, I, I turned on the closed captioning and oh, those systems just aren't complete enough. And they're particularly not complete enough when you get into localities and things that are words that aren't common in a language. So following all that, it can be a bit difficult. Of course, though, people that are used to using those systems are probably pretty good at piecing the things together. But, you know, you would think in this day and age it would be better than it is. With all these things, though, I, I know yeah, for many of us, I can think a lot of times that I've had TV on in the background. And the audio is either telling the story or it's not, or I have to look to, to the screen or sometimes in looking, you know, I don't need to be hearing sort of thing. So, th so there's this mix, no matter how you slice it. There's this inconsistency in the way that medium, and that is translated into other things, whether it's things on YouTube or social media or whatever it is, that are trying to convey. I don't know how many times I've watched a YouTube video, and the audio has nothing to do with the video or vice versa. And if you were like trying to keep something on low volume or muted or whatever else, it may be useless. So we have this challenge, right? And I was even, there was a thing on Facebook just the other day, Mark Zuckerberg gave a commencement speech, I think at Harvard. And somebody even made a point of how horrible the closed caption that Facebook was using, and again, there's, you know, I appreciate that they're trying to make that step, but it shows that, you know, here it was, somebody, billion plus users, I think they're close to two billion now, yet they don't still have this quite right. So there's still real challenges, yet at the same time, and this is the benefit, right, we live in a day and age where the tools are, are becoming more extensive. And, and, and I'm also the realist. I realize that, you know, people may only have a minute to tell a story because some, something's got to pay the bills, whether it's advertising or whether it's tax dollars or whatever. Something's got to pay the bills when we're conveying these different types of information. So most people are trying to do their best with the information. But sometimes, like me, 
you know, I hadn't even thought about the fact of would someone who's hearing impaired even be interested in my podcast? So I started looking in to transcription services, and they do exist, and there's some that do it for free. Now it's not going to be as timely and everything else. But given that we're a little podcast and, you know, there's not a lot of budget to throw at those sort of things, I'm going to give it a try and see. And it actually be more complete show notes. It'd be show notes on steroids sort of thing. But if that allows someone else to get something useful out of the conversations that we're having in this audio medium, then I think it's a great thing. And that's where we are today is there's real opportunity. And so, you know, I don't want to leave this with we've got all these challenges and it's amazing how in this day and age we still haven't got here. Well, you know, there's truth to that. But with where computing power is and where machine intelligence is and the capability to do more and more on these smaller and smaller devices, there's real opportunity. So the voicing, you know, I talked about the recognition and and how bad the the Facebook scenario ended up being, but we're on a groundbreaking thing. When you think about, um, the in-home devices now, whether it's the Amazon or whether it's the Google one. These devices are allowing us to do things that we never really thought about, and they are getting better. You know, I, I think about old voices, and I worked with voice technology way back in the day, medical software, trying to do transcription, and I remember how painstaking it was. And if you got really good at it, it can work. But for the average user, it, it was, there was a lot of barriers to entry for using it. So that voice recognition process and understanding is getting better. And I think that's important. It's important for closed captioning. But it's also important for thing with what we're doing. I, I read a story, and I've sent out an email to somebody who's involved in this, and, and I haven't heard back from him yet. And that, that happens sometimes. I hope to hear from him, and I'll, I'll update you. But a company called SAS, they've come up with something called the Graphics Accelerator. And the whole idea is it provides sonic feedback to a visual situation. And this was one of Steve's things, right? He, he really thought how cool it would be to understand what's going on on a radar screen. And now you got to keep in mind, Steve is somebody who over his time has been involved in radio and sharing critical weather information. So he comes at it from a slightly different angle, and I understand that. But to him, he was like, this would be really awesome. And we had a great conversation about some of these topics. This sort of tool does exactly that. It, it's a way to visualize data that isn't typically supported easily by an audio description even. So it can take something as simple as a bar graph, or it could take something maybe as mapping a terrain or radar information and provide a sonic response that allows any type of user, whether they're looking at it visually or trying to get it through an audio component, a way to visualize data and receive data and interpret that data. So we've got things happening on that side. We've also got this element of haptic feedback, and, and this is probably where most efforts can be made. And there are some first steps that we're doing about it. You think about when your phone vibrates. Right? That's haptic feedback. Now, imagine you could put your finger on a screen and just run it across the screen. And as long as you know the borders, let's say it is a radar thing, but you know the borders, like you, you would be able to touch somewhere and, and, and know what the center point is and where you, maybe you're located and be able to feel around that and know where that is. 
and get response maybe that's more intense where the stronger weather is. So some combination of that feedback, and that's also good for the hearing impaired as well, right? And anybody, like wearing uh, these smartwatches that are out there, haptic feedback giving you information about when there's lightning in the area or severe weather. So I think that there's real opportunity. Now, so far, am I seeing it in the weather space? No, I came across one app called Weather Gods. It's only on the iOS platform that does some of that sort of feedback. And I know with alerts that there's, you know, the ability to buzz. Some of that's built in the operating system. And actually, there's a, a whole lot of information. And this was something else Steve and I talked about. There's a whole lot of information within the operating environments. And this is true on both iOS and Android, where developers... And this got into that whole material podcast. The developers, if they think about it, as long as they're thinking about it when they go through the process, it can make that thing so much better because it was very difficult. I, I tried this as well at Steve's recommendation. Was I did it on, on the iOS platform. I didn't do it on the Android. But they basically work the same way, which is you go and you provide a, a, a way by people touching areas of the screen. It provides an audio feedback component. And it allows somebody who's visually impaired to actually use an app that otherwise wouldn't be able to. So the tools are there, the operating environment's there. At a broad scale, we think about accessibility at that. But so often the developers of the individual apps don't. But these tools are now there for it to happen. And hopefully we'll continue to see that evolution take place. The other piece of that, you know, no different than me looking at the transcription service, I, this is a reminder to anybody, and I don't care whether you're in the weather enterprise or what do you do every day, but if you're providing some sort of information to other people and that information is going to be broadly consumed in any way, step back and think about how you're conveying that information and are you really presenting it in a way that would allow for accessibility, whether you're doing it directly in the way you're telling the story. So if you're, let's say, an on-air meteorologist and you're telling a story about something that's on the screen, are, are you doing it in a way that anybody, like somebody that's not even looking at the screen, as an example, I don't care whether they're visually impaired or just anybody not looking at the screen, would understand what's going on on the screen. And maybe that's how you should think about it when you're, when you're relaying that information. The tools are improving, and they're going to continue to make this easier. But we got to make the step, I think, as individuals when we're conveying information to try to do it in a way that makes it as broadly accessible as possible. And I know, like I said, I'm going to look into this transcription service. I want to make all this information to as available to anybody who wants to absorb it. Anybody. So that's my task in this process. Just one of the things that I could take on myself. And I challenge all of us that convey information, and again, whether, whether or not, to think about it, try to incorporate the newer technologies. Heck, if you're an app developer, think about it. Because the tools so often are out there, we've just got to use it. And that in turn will make the tools better because you'll go and go, dang, this tool just doesn't do this thing that I wish it did. And you provide feedback to the developer, then, you know, the operating system, and then the developer, the operating system go, oh, we can do that and make it accessible. Making accessibility accessible and goal kind of thing.
just some stuff to ponder. So I'm working on a new cloud episode for the YouTube channel. What is it about clouds? Check it out if you haven't already. But it's going to be about colors of clouds. And sometimes, you know, we think about sunset and that sort of thing. And how it changes in a few minutes. It might go from oranges to reds to purples or whatever. But have you ever, you know, just been looking up in the sky and there's been this big white puffy cloud. And in front of it, there's kind of a gray cloud. Kind of the same structure, but you wonder why is that one all white and this one's all gray? Well, it has to do with perception. Assuming, you know, all things being equal, that cloud is being, in, and you may have experienced this for anybody that takes photos, where the lighting either drowns out, it's very focused on something bright in the background and drowns out what's in front of it. That's why we have this HDR technology now. But the same thing happens with clouds. So the cloud probably is actually really white, and it's probably white to somebody else and visually, because, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, to someone else looking at it, right, from, a, from another location. But to you, it looks gray. And this has to do just with the brightness of the background. Just an interesting little side note there. Okay, time to wrap up and let you guys go. For all that support the podcast, thank you. As an example, Steve did the validate thing. He let me know. Something he had an idea about. Gave me some, you know, we had even a great conversation about the topic as well. So thanks again to Steve. Rate, share, validate, and pledge. You know the deal. RSVP. Whatever way you support the podcast. Thank you. And to Steve, again, if you want to catch his show, he does on jazz. If you're in Wichita, Kansas, or Austin, Texas, I'll put links in the show note. He's working on his website, but I think you're even able to download some episodes there. So I'll put, I'll put the different ways you can reach him. But thanks for taking the time to uh, su both suggest an episode idea, but also taking the time to talk to me about it. Because this was one I felt a little uncomfortable in trying to pull everything together. And he had some great thoughts, including the experiments about how to think through it. So thanks for that. But again, thank you to all of you who are supporting the podcast in your various ways. And for those in the U.S., have a, a great Memorial Day weekend. And wherever you are around the globe, as always, of course, may you have an enjoyable and intertwined weather week. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word super production.